27, verse number one says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. <clears throat> of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Um, focus your attention on uh, verse one. The Lord is my light and my salvation. And we're going to stop right there. I told you last week at the end, um, we are going to uh, take a deep dive or really get into uh, what that means when David says, the Lord is my light and, uh, and my salvation. Now, we, we discovered last week, we talked about this category uh, or in depth of psalm known as the Psalms of Lament. Okay, and we learned that the Psalms of lament or Psalms where the psalm writer is lamenting within that psalm, we learned that there were two varieties of Psalms of lament. We learned that there were community Psalms of lament and then there were individual Psalms of lament. We learned that the community Psalms of lament, of lament rather, uh, deal with situational or national crisis. They describe problems faced by all the people of God. And we gave as an example, uh, Psalms 12 that you could look at. And in particular, when you look at Psalms 12, you're looking at verses one and two in particular, the help Lord uh, for the godly man cease it, for the faithful fail from among the children of men. They speak vanity, even one with his neighbor, with flattering lips and with a double heart do they speak. That's Psalms 12 verses one and two. That is an example of a community psalm, okay, amen. We also learn that there are individual psalms of lament because they come in those two varieties, community and individual. And the individual uh, Psalms of Lament, this particular time, kind uh, addresses various isolated troubles. So they address the problems faced by one member or of the people of God, okay? Um, and not the collective whole. So uh, an example of an individual Psalm of Lament is Psalms uh, 86. Um, and look at verse 14, which says, Oh God, the proud are risen against me. And the assemblies of violent men have sought after my soul and have not set thee before them. Here, the psalm writer, <coughs> pardon me, uh, is calling out to God in this psalm, and he's bringing out or stating a case that's unique to him. He says, oh God, the proud are risen against me. He makes it personal. So these individual psalms of lament are those psalms that highlight these problems or these troubles, uh, these these uh, these uh, strenuous events that are happening um, in my in my life. But they are uh, individual or or unique to me. That's not to say that the enemy isn't after all of us. And we talked about that last week. We know uh, we know that he is. Amen. We know that the enemy is after all of us. But the Psalms of Lament are those Psalms that are meant to be sung or prayed to the Lord or communicated to God when the, when 
the psalmist or the person who's singing it at the time, or reading it at the time, or praying it at the time, is meant to be used for those situations where I'm feeling down, I'm feeling depressed, I'm feeling be, I'm not dealing with the national or the 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 churchwide uh, 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 application of it. I'm dealing with it on a more personal. So this would be the Psalms that I bring out when when I personally am going through some things in my life and and nobody seems to understand. And no matter who I talk to or I try to confide in to get some information or to get some um, some sort of comfort, nobody seems to understand. The Psalms of the individual Psalms of lament are the ones that you break out. They're the ones that you break into when life situations have gotten to you. And on a personal level, I'm feeling battered. I'm feeling broken. I'm feeling bruised. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not even looking at everyone else. Lord, it's me that's standing in the need of rescuing. I need you to save me. I need you to come and see about me. I need you to lift up my heart. I need you to speak some sense into my mind. God, I just need you. And that's what those individual psalms of lament are for. The general ones, the community psalms, those would be the ones that you break out when you're praying for uh, um, um, uh, on a larger scale. So this is what we would bring out. These are the ones that find application when we're praying for our nation, when we're praying for our city, um, or even when we're praying for the church body itself. It's when we're praying or when we're coming to the Lord <clears throat> on a community, okay, or on a corporate level. That's when you want to break out or that's when the Psalms, uh, the community Psalms of Lament find their uh, most effective application and the individual Psalms of Lament find their most effective application when you break those out when you are personally troubled or going through something and you need a word for from the lord for yourself the psalms belong to god and so they are approved by god see they're authorized by god because each one has been accepted by god when it comes to the book of psalms they cover listen i told you before i will say it again the Psalms cover the spectrum of things that we go through, both on a corporate and on an individual level. This is why the Psalms are wonderful to be used in any of life's situations. And we learned uh, in previous lessons that they are used for not only self-edification, so they're not just meant to be sung uh, um, for uh, within ourselves, but they're also good and wonderful for instructing others. Amen. Praise the Lord. These Psalms are approved of God. It's in the word. The Bible is the, uh, is the only authorized written record of God Almighty or revelation of God concerning himself to mankind. The Bible is the revelation of God Almighty to mankind concerning himself. And every word, as the book of Proverbs tells us, every word of the Lord is pure. These words are holy. These words are accepted. And so when you use the Psalms in your prayer and in your meditation, okay, 
God is guaranteed to hear that. As long as your heart is right and you're coming with the right heart, because God is always going to be examining the heart. So I don't want you to think that you can just crack out a song, psalm and start going all off into the psalm and thinking that God's getting ready to hear. No, your heart got to line up. The God's word cannot just be used any kind of way. You cannot mishandle and just um, treat the word of God when we use it as though it is as though it is a self-help book or just good information likened unto what you might find in some other book. The Bible is not like any other book. Amen. The Bible is the only book that God wrote. Glory to God. Amen. It is the only Bible that it is the only book that God himself wrote. The Bible says that holy men spake as they were moved by the spirit of God. God used men that were separated, sanctified, dedicated, and purposed for his will and his will alone. And then he used them as you would use a pencil to write on a piece of paper. Amen. God does the same thing, but he does it on a, on a larger scale. We are the pencils and the pens that God uses in his hand. And I will just ask this question, rhetorical question. Are you usable in the hands of God today? How is your life? How are you operating? Can God use you? Are you operating in a way that makes you usable to God? So the Psalms are good to be used and they can be used. Now, Psalms 21 says, 27 verse one says, and that a portion, the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? We said that that was a declarative sentence there. Amen. All right. And it's usually there. Okay. A declarative sentence is usually um, used as an assertion of fact. Therefore, the purpose of a declarative sentence is usually to express statements of fact. So we gave some examples in Exodus 3, 14, God saying, I am that I am. And then we looked at Mark 14 and 62, uh, where Jesus says the same thing, I am, they tying himself and revealing to us that he is the father, amen. David, when we move forward, declares two facts concerning the nature or attributes of God, okay? David also then ends, as we said, with a rhetorical question. And it's a question that we said last week wasn't really even meant to be answered um, by us because the answer is already given by what he declares, amen. And what God declares, because God declared, because David declares from the beginning, the Lord is my light and my salvation. The disclosure of those two truths make it so that the only answer to the question of whom shall I fear, the only answer it could be is that there's no one to fear. And we said that as long that God is, is light and salvation, there will be no one and nothing that you and I need to fear. Now let's dig into this light, this concept of light. David says, the Lord is my light, okay? And my salvation. Light is an attribute or characteristic that is often associated with God. When we say attributes, we, when we use that in reference to God, the attributes of God are those characteristics that belong uniquely to God. Amen. So 
and with a and with them belonging uniquely to God. It means that we don't find it anywhere else. It means that it does not or cannot belong to anyone else, not the way it's used in the scripture. When we find or when we look at a, a, uh, an attribute of God, okay, let's look at omniscience. God knows everything. That is an attribute that belongs or a characteristic that belongs to God. There is nobody else, amen, that knows everything like God. Now, there are many people, or, or they, some people might know some things, okay? And there are people who know many things. And there are even people who know lots of things. But there is nobody like God Almighty who knows all things. So when we say God is omniscient, we mean that God is the only one that knows everything. And there are many other characteristic or attributes of God uh, that belong uniquely to God. One that we don't often discuss and one that bears, that is worthy of us taking some time. And that's the reason why we're still in verse number one and we're not running through because we want God to give us what he has for us. We want to get everything God has. One of these attributes that God has, along with being uh, all-powerful and all-knowing and all-present, all, all of these things, another one is the fact that God is light. Light is an attribute or it's a characteristic that is often associated with God. Now, you got to understand some things. We got to set the groundwork to understand this. While God is not or does not have a color, amen, God himself does not have a color in the sense of a nationality. So what are you saying? I'm telling you this, God is not Jewish. Amen. We talk about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, this God um, who appeared at first and manifested himself um, to the Jews first. But to make no mistake, just because God started his introduction or his revelation or further revelation with our with the with the Jewish nation that don't make God Jewish. God cannot be connected to any nationality. You got to understand that. When we talk about God and when we say God, we're talking about the spirit of God. God as a we're talking about God being God for who he is. God does not have an ethnicity. God is not black, God is not white, God is not Hispanic, God is not whatever you come up with, God is not that. Amen. God does not have a color and he does not have an ethnicity. Amen. Though he deals with us, though he deals with mankind, he himself, amen, the Bible says is not a man. And for that, look at uh, the, uh, Numbers chapter 23, verse 19. Bible says plainly, God is not a man. That's the first, that is the opening salvo in that statement. He goes on that he should lie, neither the son of man, that he should repent, hath uh, he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? Again, God is not a man. Glory to God. He don't even stop there. Job 9 and 32, very plainly. For he is not a what? Man. 
that I should answer him and we should come together in judgment. God said, uh-uh, God don't come to the, to the council meeting with me as if he's just like me. No, God is sovereign all by himself. God is in a category. God is in a class all by himself. He makes up the category. He makes up the class and there is none beside him. And we got to understand, we got to make sure we keep that in mind. God is not a man. But the Bible teaches that rather God is a spirit. John 4, amen. God, John uh, 4 and 24 tells us and shows us very plainly, amen, that God is a spirit. Glory to God. God is a spirit. Now, there is, amen, God is not a man. God does not have a color. God does not have a nationality. Amen. Though he provided revelation by coming through the line of David, being born in the, in, through the line of David, and coming as taking on the form of a man. Amen in order to sacrifice that body to pay for the sins that you and I have, com have committed. When he took on the vesture or the garments of a mankind or, or, or when the incarnation, God taking on flesh took place, the flesh that he took on was Jewish. Amen. Glory to God. The flesh was, but that flesh was a sacrifice. But the Bible tells us God was in Christ reconciling or buying back the world unto himself. Glory to God. And God himself is not a man. He is a spirit. Glory to God. And the spirit of God was in the body of Christ Jesus. Now, that's what the Bible actually teaches. Now, even though this is the case, there are or there is a visual characteristic to the presence of God. When, when we're not talking about God as he's manifested himself in the flesh, okay? So as God has revealed himself in the flesh in, uh, and, and, and given that flesh a name, and we know that name, that is the name Jesus, glory to God. There's no other name uh, greater than the name of Jesus, all right? There is a visual characteristic to the presence of God, even when we're not talking about God in, uh, as, as, as he is manifest in the flesh. So when we're talking about God as a spirit, okay, there is a visual or can be, is probably more accurate to say, a visual characteristic to the presence of God that he sometimes makes visible to various degrees. God does not, when God, God, Bible, God is a spirit. And again, the spirit does not have a color or unique of its own. It got, he's a spirit. It's not like that at all. But there are times where there are visual characteristics that God sometimes makes visible to various degrees. Okay. Now, he don't make it all visible uh, to us because no man can look on God and live. Amen. We can't see him just as he is in the natural life. No, no. So what God does is, is that there are times where God uh, makes visible himself to various degrees. Now we know um, things like theophanies. This is where in the Old Testament where God would appear, okay, as, uh, as, a, as, as a man, amen. 
he would appear. So this is the what is known as the pre-incarnate Christ. So in other words, before Christ came, there were times in the Bible where God revealed himself. And in that revelation, God revealing himself, God took on the form or appeared as a, you know what I'm saying, as a human man. Amen. That, that's God revealing himself. Okay. And those types of revelations are what we know as, or revealings, are what are known as theophanies. And there are several of them that have occurred throughout scripture. But when he's not revealing himself as a theophany, okay, or, or, or when we're not talking about his revelation or in the, you know what I'm saying, in the person Christ Jesus, when we're not talking about that and we are simply talking about the spirit of God, God in spirit form, okay, for lack of a better way of uh, putting that. When we are talking about that, there can be a visual uh, component to it if God chooses to make it visible. When God makes it visible, this characteristic is often referred to as what we know as the glory or splendor of God. Amen. Turn to Isaiah chapter 60, verses 1 and 2. When God makes aspects of his of his of his, of himself visible while in spirit form, okay. Usually, the way that is manifest or what that is referred to is 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 the glory of God or the splendor of God. And Isaiah sixty verses one and two says, "Arise, shine thy light." Here's that word we're talking about: light. Shine for thy light is come. And now he's describing the light and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth and gross darkness, the people, but the Lord shall rise upon thee. And what? His glory shall be seen upon them. Amen. So this characteristic that God often, that God can choose to manifest and choose to make visible is often referred to as the glory or the splendor of God. Now, some see this when God makes this visible because we're talking about the light and we're, and, and we're explaining, we're tying this all together because when we talk about God is light and he is, the Bible teaches us that God is light. We, we, we really what's happening, what we're talking about and, we're, and when we're talking about God in his spirit form, so to speak, for lack of a better way of putting it, okay? So he's not manifesting him flesh. He's not taking on any other form or showing himself in any other form, but he is choosing to make his spirit or aspects of his spirit visible to a certain degree. What we actually get when God does that or what we are actually beholding is the glory or the splendor of God. Now, some people, when they see this, when God makes it, um, uh, visible and probably most people, if the, of that he's made it visible, it, it it shows up as a brilliance of light, amen. And and an example of that is is Acts chapter twenty two verse eleven. So go ahead and turn your Bible to Acts chapter twenty two verse eleven, and we learn something about Paul and his Damascus Road encounter. And look at the description that's given here, uh, Acts twenty two eleven. And when I could not see for the glory of thy light. Amen. 
God is light. But when he shows it, it often shows up. And the way we see it is as glory. It, when the, we, it's usually referred to as his glory. I'm gonna read that again. And when I could not see for the glory of that light, being led by the hand of them that were with me, I came into Damascus. Paul takes up the narrative again in chapter 26. Look at verse 13. Paul's giving an account. He's, he's, he's laying it out again, but this time in Acts chapter 26, and we're looking at verse 13. At midday, O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven above, watch this, look at the characteristics of this, above the brightness of the sun, that's actual light, shining round about me and them which journey with me. He says, I saw a light and it was above, it was, it was a real, it was a light that was so brilliant that it even eclipsed the light that the sun gives off. Amen. Why? Why did they, why did they see this? Why is the glory? Why do they see it? Or, or those that God manifested, why do they see it often as the glory of God is, can be seen as light? The reason for that is because First John 1 and 5 makes it very plain. The Bible says that, guess what? God is light. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you, look at the declaration of the apostle, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So we see in the scripture, this is first John or the epistle of John. So not for those of you um, who are following along. So not the gospel of John, but the epistle of John first, the first epistle, he lays it right out. God is light. And when we understand that you can then understand why not only in Paul's Damascus road encounter, not only do we see the words uh, glory, because usually when God makes his spirit uh, visible or aspects of it visible, um, it is known or is referred to as the glory of God. And that glory can often show up or manifest itself as light. And when it does, the brilliance of that light is always different than the light of anything else. I told you, when we say God is light, we're talking about an attribute or characteristic that is unique to God and God alone. Amen. Therefore, when we say that God is light, because it is an attribute or when we use it in description or in describing God, realizing that it is an attribute of God, it's not the same on the same level as natural light. When God is light, that means we're God is light, but it is light on a whole nother level. It, it is a whole nother caliber. And when you look at Acts chapter 26, verse 13, he described the brightness of that light, that it was brighter than the sun. Amen. Glory to God. That same light, got to understand, and here's the beauty of it. I, I, God is just so good with the way he does this. When we're talking about God, you are talking you are talking about Jesus because Jesus is God and you see this same thing being applied look at John the uh, the, the 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 gospel of John look at verse John chapter 1 let's look at verses 1 through 13 1 through 14 in the beginning was the word and the word was with God 
And the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. Make sure you stick a pen in that. And the life was the light of men. Oh, make, don't, don't lose sight of that. We're probably going to come back to that pretty, pretty soon. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light. And I want you to notice if you're reading along, that word light there is capitalized. And it's capitalized here because it's a title of God. Amen. It's representing, it is, it's, it's, it's not just representing light, but it's, but, but he is that light. We're, I, we're, it is revealing the character or an aspect of God's character. Amen. And one of the titles or names of God is light. Amen. He was not that light, speaking of John, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That's verse eight, verse nine. That was the true light, which lighted every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world and the world was made by him and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, glory to God. He came unto his own and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Look at it. Now we, use, we move from light to another descriptive term or title, the glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Look at John chapter 8, verse 12. Because Jesus is that same light. When we talk about God is light, we are talking about God Almighty. We are talking about Jesus Christ because he is God. John chapter 8, verse 12. Then spake Jesus unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Do you see God tying everything all together? Did not John, did, didn't in chapter one, he, we were told that Jesus was the light and the light of men. And here we go in verse 12 saying the same thing. Take a look at Hebrews chapter one, verse three talking about Jesus because we when we talk about God being light we are also we are talking about it is the same as talking about Jesus being light because Jesus is God amen who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, who being the brightness of his glory. Amen. I told you it's a lot in this when we start talking about the light 
God being light and talking about glory. But now still, still, even with this, glory or light, the glory or the light of God is actually even more nuanced than this. There's, there's more depth to it than even what we just went over. And what we've been talking about, and I don't know about you, but that's, that's heavy enough. But, but look at God, because the, the, the whale goes deeper than what you and I anticipate. See, when we're talking about the glory or the light of God, it's more nuanced than that. There's more depth to it than that. See, the spirit of God has its own radiance or brightness. The spirit, now I'm talking about God as a spirit. Remember, God is a spirit. We already went through the scriptures that showed and proved that, that God is a spirit. Amen. Glory to God. The spirit of God, you and I must understand, has its own radiance or brightness because God is the absolute source of light. Amen. I want to say that again. God's spirit has a radiance all of its own. It has a brightness all of its own. It's a characteristic. God is light. It has a radiance and a brightness all its own. And it has this because God is the absolute source of light. First John, one and five, we read it. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declared unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. God is the absolute source of light. He is the origin of light. He is the starting point of light. He is the true emitter of light. Thus his presence, God's glory, actually emits or generates actual light or brilliance or luminescence, if you want to use that word. God's spirit literally generates or throws off light because he is light. And there are some things that we want to understand about the glory of God. The glory of God, not only does it emit this brilliance or, um, or emit light, but I told you it's more nuanced than that. It goes deeper than that. How, how deep does it go? It goes this deep. The glory of the Lord can also have, turn to Exodus 24, verse 17. The glory of the Lord can also have the appearance of fire. Amen. And some of you will recognize this or should automatically in your mind be running to the book of Acts when the Holy Ghost was poured out. And these cloven tongues or divided tongues sat amongst their head as cloven tongues of fire. Well, the glory of God takes on the appearance, amen, at times of fire, Exodus 24, 17. And the sight of the glory of the Lord was like devouring fire on the top of the mount in the eyes of the children of Israel, glory to God. I told you it's more nuanced than just showing light. The glory of God cast off can have the appearance of fire. Amen. The glory of the Lord can also have the appearance 
And I want you to turn to Exodus chapter 40, verses 34 and 35. The glory of the Lord can also have the appearance of vapor or smoke or a cloud-like manifestation to it. Look at Exodus chapter 40, 34, 35. Then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation and the what? Glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Verse 35. And Moses was not able to enter into the tent of the congregation. Why? Because the cloud abode thereon and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. The glory of God. So not only is he, is he light, and we're just talking about the manifestations of this glory or this light of, of, of God, because sometimes it's, going, it's seen as, as, as fire, then other times it's seen as a cloud. But watch this. Turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 5, verse 14. Not only does it have a manifestation, have a cloud, can it have a cloud manifestation or a fire-like appearance to the glory of God? And this is all while being bright, luminescent. This is all in addition to that. But in addition to this, the glory of God can have a weight or a pressure to it, or a, in other words, an aspect of it that you can feel. Glory to God. Second Chronicles chapter five, verse 14 says this, so that the priests could not stand to minister. This means they literally could not physically stand up. Why could they not stand up? The priests could not stand up to minister by reason of the cloud for the glory of the Lord had filled the house of the Lord. One of the words when you define glory is when you uh, dissect and define the word glory, you will find the word weight because it is often referred to as the weight. The glory of God can often be referred to as the weight of God. And when the presence of God, the light of God, this cloud of God, this fire of God, the glory of God, when it is present, it can be so thick. It can be so almost smothering that it can weigh you down to where you can't even stand up. That's some kind of glory. That is some kind of light, light that you can feel that has pressure that can push down glory to God. I, I'm telling you, I'm just getting excited already, but it don't even stop there. It does not even stop there, brothers and sisters. The glory of God, not only can it have a pressure or weight to it, not only can it have a cloud-like manifestation, not only can it have a fire-like appearance, but the glory, this light of God. Because remember, the light of God is often referred to as the glory of God. The glory of God can also have a colorful manifestation to it in addition to there being a brightness to it. Now we said, listen, God is not a color, but his glory can manifest or emit color. Glory to God. And I want you to turn, and I want you to turn to Ezekiel chapter one, and we're going to look at verse 25 and through, and through verse 28, and we're going to prove that whole thing out. Now, before we do that, I said, God himself is not a color. God is light. And anybody who knows anything about what is known as white light or pure light, then you know that when you take light and you grab what is known as a prism, this crystal-like thing, 
and you put it and you apply white light or pure light to it. There are spectrums of light that get picked up in a prism. And some of you have seen light shining out of a window through a prism and then it casts a rainbow across the wall or whatever the light of it is, is because when the light hits the prism, the prism brings up, brings out the different characteristics or the different spectrums of light. And that's why you begin to see this colorful display when light goes through a prism. Now, the glory of God can have a colorful manifestation to it. And this is, and the Bible says this, Ezekiel chapter one, verse 25 through, 20, through 28. And there was a voice from the firmament that was over their heads when they stood and had let down their wings. And above the firmament, amen, that was over their heads was the likeness of a throne as the appearance of a sapphire stone. And upon the likeness of the throne was the likeness as the appearance of a man above upon it. And I saw, look at how the prophet described it, as the color of amber, so that's the yellow, that's that brightness, that, that, that fire, as the appearance of fire round about within it. From the appearance of his loins even upward, and from the appearance of his loins even downward. So he's talking about the appearance of, of, of God. He's showing that it was like fire. It had a yellow, it had a had this brilliant glow to it, but he don't stop there. I will it I saw as it were the appearance of fire, and it had a brightness round about. Look at verse 28. As, as the appearance of the bow, that's the rainbow, that is in the cloud in the day of rain, so was the appearance of the brightness of, the brightness round about. That was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell upon my face and I heard a voice of I heard a voice of one that spake. Did you see what he said? As the appearance of a bow that is in the cloud in the day of rain. That's a rainbow. And he's describing that this color, it was a colorful aspect to it. So not only was it amber and was it yellow, but at the same time, it was colorful. God is good, isn't he? Isn't God amazing when you start talking about the glory of God? Doesn't stop there. The glory of the Lord can manifest as both a cloud and brightness simultaneously. Turn to Ezekiel. You're already in the book of Ezekiel, but this time look at uh, chapter 10. I want you to look at verse number four because the manifestation of God's glory or his light can take the appearance of a cloud and it can be brightness all at the same time. Verse number four of chapter 10 in the book of Ezekiel says this, then the glory of the Lord went up from the cherub and stood over the threshold of the house and the house was filled with the cloud and the court was full of what? The brightness of the Lord's 
glory. I told you it can be both cloud and bright all at the same time. It can have color. This is why some of you may have talked to uh, people and sometimes when they describe the glory of the Lord, you may have heard uh, people um, recount their experience with the glory of the Lord. And you hear people say, man, it was when the spirit of the Lord came, it was like a cloud that was just in the sanctuary. And, and it had like a, like a, maybe a blue haze or some sort of cover color to it. That's, this is why what we're talking about right now is why it can appear and it can show up in that way. And, 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 and that's a wonderful thing. That's a wonderful thing to know. In addition to that, as we said, Jesus, or God, because when we're talking about, we're talking about this, we're just talking about God. He is light, and we saw, and he is light, and we read that in St. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14, and we read it again uh, in uh, St. John chapter 8, verse 12. And as long as Jesus is in the world, the world will have light. I want you to turn to St. John. I want you to look at, or the Gospel of John, look at chapter 9, and I want you to look at verse number 5. Look at what Jesus has to say about the subject in St. John uh, chapter 9, verse 5. As long as I am in the world. Look at what he says. I am the light of the world. As long as he's here, there's going to be light in this world. But look at the God, the, look at the God we serve. And look at how, how just how it, just how thoroughly God got it hooked up. Not only is God the light. But are you aware, brothers and sisters, that we are called also to be like God? Now we ain't gonna, we will never be, we will, we, we're not on the same level. So don't, don't, the call, we're not on the same level as God. So we, we, we don't have a light of our own, glory to God. We don't, we don't have our own radiance. We don't have our own, uh, we don't have our own brilliance because the righteousness of man is like, as filthy rags before God. We don't have that. But even though we don't have that of our own, we are still called to be like God. Look at Leviticus chapter 11, verse 44 and 45. In case you didn't know that we are called to be like God. Bible says this, for I am the Lord your God. Ye, sh ye shall therefore sanctify yourselves and ye shall be holy for I am holy. Neither shall you defile yourselves with any manner of creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. For I am, there's that I am again, for I am the Lord that bringeth you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. Ye shall therefore be holy. Why? For I am holy. That's a call to be like God. Look at Leviticus chapter 19. Look at verse number two. Speak unto all the congregation of the children of Israel and say unto them, ye shall be holy for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Look at chapter 20 and same in, in the book of Leviticus and look at verse number seven. Sanctify yourselves therefore and be ye holy for I am the Lord your God. So we have a call, a mandate to be like God. Well, what does this have to do with light? What does this have to do with all that? Well, the light in this world, this means we are also called to be like God. And because we are called to be like God, we are called to manifest the light of Christ in our own lives or through our lives. And to see that, look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. Amen. This is just good old-fashioned 
Bible study. And God is just blessing us this morning with his word. Glory to God. Matthew 5, 14 uh, says this, ye are. So we already read the scripture where Jesus said he is. But now look at what he says. Now he brings and grasps you into it. Now he grasps me into it. He says, Matthew 5, 14, ye are the light of the world. A city that is on a hill cannot be hid. If we hide the light, glory to God, because we're called to be like him. And because we're called to be like him, we're called to radiate light or to be reflectors of his light. His light is supposed to shine off of us and into this world. When that light does not shine, how does it shine? What that simply means is, is that the gospel message, because the light of God is often communicated or seen through the word of God. And the word of God that we are commanded to speak is the gospel. Amen. Now, the gospel message we carry is the light that is within us. And if we hide it, if we conceal it, brothers and sisters, if we put it on a shelf and we go do something else, the Bible is very clear in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 through 4, that that light is hid from those that are lost. Bible says it this way, but if our gospel be hid, Keep in mind, the gospel. He didn't say nothing else. He said the gospel. If our gospel, what is our gospel? It's the message of Christ. What is the message of Christ? That he was born of a virgin, that he lived among men, working all manner of righteousness. What is that gospel message? That he died on the cross for your sins and mine. What is the gospel that he rose on the third day with all power of heaven and earth? And this is what you got to believe and this is what you got to be obedient because when you believe this message, when you are obedient, when you take that truth, that message, and you take it in by faith that he rose from the dead on the third day with all power of heaven and earth, when you believe that the next step is baptism in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, when you believe that, glory to God, that is some kind of light, and it will lead to salvation as we apply the obedience to the instruction that God has given. Second Corinthians 4, 3 through 4 says, but if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world, little G-O-D, talking about Satan, hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. Why? Lest the light, there go the light again, the light has come right back. That glory, everything comes right back. The light of the glorious gospel. And here you got them both, light and glory, all in the same scripture. Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, not the light of your message, not the light of my message, but the light of Jesus's message, the message of Jesus Christ. The devil has blinded people so that the light of the glorious gospel of Christ who is what? The image of God should not shine unto them. God is light, and God has, and that light is often referred to as the glory. Now, as we dig into this, this is good this morning. Amen. 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 The word light in our text in Psalms uh, 27, the Lord is my light. In our text, when it's defined, 
it refers to actual life or it's in, in its natural application. So we're talking about just uh, uh, natural, uh, uh, natural daylight, so to speak. And it's used quite a bit in scripture, okay? Light is used quite a bit in scripture. And you'll find that the meaning of it or the, uh, the meaning of light as it's used in scripture, you're gonna find that it often varies depending on how it's used. So context does play a big role in the interpretation of how light is actually being used in a particular uh, in a particular scripture. Now, when you break the word um, the word light down um, as it appears in our scripture, it means to uh, to be or to cause light or something to be lit up. In other words, um, it means uh, it can mean the breaking of day, or it can also means glorious. There's that word glory. It can also means kindle, as in to light or to set something on fire. So it has these meanings. Um, this word here, it appears in verb form in scripture and in noun. And when it appears in the verb form, it often means to become light or to become lighted up. So in the, and, and the example of that, that you want to uh, keep in mind is, is Genesis chapter 44, verse three, because we're talking about something becoming light as when light is turned on or when daybreak happens. And in Genesis 44, three, we see as soon as the morning was light, the men were sent away, they and their asses or donkeys. Now, he says, as soon as the morning was light. So the context of that is shows, or this, the verb, you see the verb form of this. And it literally means, or is representing light coming or light being turned on. So something is dark and light begins to shine on it. In its noun form, amen, um, it appears probably uh, over about, uh, um, uh, uh, roughly about 120 times. Um, and oftentimes when it appears, in its noun form, and that's the way it's being appeared, it's appearing here in our text, it's literally being used as a poetic term. So, and by that, what we mean by um, po a poetic term, we, we simply mean that it is, um, that the application of it is metaphorical. Uh, it uses the word light, and light means a specific thing, but it's really shedding light or, or highlighting the characteristic uh, of, um, of, of knowledge or enlightenment, so to speak. An example of that is Genesis chapter one, verse three, okay? Um, here, light um, is the opposite of darkness. And so it is a actual literal, literal thing. And God said, let there be light and there was light, amen. That's what we read um, there. So we see this, uh, this, this word light, it has a verb form, it has a noun form. In our text, we're looking more at the, uh, at the noun form. And thus, because we're looking at it in the noun form, it is also representative, amen, glory to God. Uh, in the noun form, it is also mean, it also means that in our text, it's being used metaphorically as well. In other words, there is a spiritual application to that. And, and next week, um, when we uh, continue, we will get further into the spiritual application. The purpose of this is not to blow through the scriptures, brothers and sisters, but the purpose of this is to uh, bring understanding or allow God to bring understanding to us about what is being meant. When we read, we often move way too fast through the scripture, but when we pause and when we slow down, 
we are able to see things in the scripture that we never saw before. We're going to tie all this together next week. Wow.